Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, February 20th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So since you and I last spoke, uh, I actually got out on the road with my band. We went and played a concert in the west of France, and that was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, but now it's back to reality and, and the work week and stuff. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, it what's... sounded very good. Well, you, you explained it on our, on our team meeting. But um, yeah. I've actually been to Nantes, ah, there you whatever, go. however you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice city. Good, really nice. Yeah. So what's going on on the MBA application front? I guess, you know, you were saying most of the schools like last week when we talked on the show, you're talking about how most of the big schools who have kind of set deadlines and get their interview invites out in one, you know, kind of um, fell swoop have done so. Yeah. But is, what are you seeing on the wires and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Wharton this week, um, at the, at last week, at the back end of last week, we're recording this beforehand, so I'm assuming that did happen. <laughs> you never um, know. The they, own, they've, they've missed yeah. a couple of things recently. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, I think. Yeah. Um, but the only sort of outlier here is Sloan. Um, okay. So um, if Sloan didn't, didn't um, roll out interview invites um, um, the end of last week, they, they should this upcoming week. I did see a note somewhere on Livewire that they thought it would be February 23rd, 24th. So I'm not exactly sure um, that that's probably maybe even the, the beginning of the following week. But anyway, Sloan is therefore the outlier. Yeah. We're seeing lots of interview invites on, um, on, on, um, on, on, on live. Well, I also saw some, um, um, some of the first waitlist admits um, also, I, and I forget which school that was, but we'll start seeing more of those as we get closer to the um, decision um, deadlines for, for round two. Some schools will do their waitlist review maybe a week or two ahead of releasing right. um, round two decisions. So yeah, lots of um, interesting activity. And, and this is why I think particularly in a down year, it's not the worst thing to be on the wait list in round one, because I feel like schools come back, you know, they look, it's sort of like they look at what they got in round two, and then suddenly those round one waitlist candidates look really good um, in some instances. So they'll, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I expect a fair amount of movement on the wait list this year. Yeah. So, um, all right. So over on the website, you know, speaking of kind of interviews, and all that stuff. We did run a piece called Five Interview Questions You Need to Ace. I think we actually have a podcast about the same topic from way back in the archives that you can just Google and, and find pretty easily, I suspect. But yeah, just stuff that, you know, sort of like tell me about yourself and your career plan and why MBA, why now, why us kind of stuff. So, you know, read that tip if you're getting ready for an interview. We also did a, a Valentine's Day oriented story last week, Alex, about which was called Sweethearts and Success. And that really applies to people who are applying to business school as a couple, which does happen. And, and there's a ton of really good information, even though it's it's kind of a kitschy themed article. There's a lot of good insights if you do happen to be applying to business school with a significant other. And there's also a podcast episode where <laughs> we actually talked to a couple that had applied together and gotten into a slightly different, but some overlapping sets of schools. And so that was a lot of fun um, to, to record with them way back when. So that's, that's linked in the article too, if you're curious and want to go deep into the archives when we had different music and 
and stuff for the wiretaps portion. I'd forgotten all about it. Um, but anyway, that's on the site. Alex, I do want to talk to you about the Financial Times uh, MBA program ranking, which came out last week. And so, you know, Columbia Business School was at the top. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Maybe what I should do actually is run down, you know, at least sort of the top 10 here in case our listeners have somehow missed (laughs) seeing this ranking. Um, So the top 10 in the FT this year was Columbia at number one, INSEAD, IESA, uh, Harvard Business School, Stanford, those two are actually tied for fourth. Then we have Bocconi in Italy in sixth place, followed by Berkeley, Cornell, Kellogg, and Yale rounding out the top 10. So Alex, I don't know if you remember, do you remember who was number one last year in this ranking? Um, number one last year was was Wall, yeah. <laughs> um, or at least I, I think they were. Yes, they were. Um, but they're obviously missing in action um, from the ranking this time and i'm very puzzled by this yeah me too because you know as much as we're not that keen on these ordinal rankings i think it's a responsibility of of the schools um that are participating to make sure that they do participate so wharton you know attempted to participate as they have done in the past and like like you say last year they were number one um and but but they didn't get enough data in and we don't know why that that happened um, and whether it was on the part of Wharton or on, on the part of the Financial Times. Um, but this is very poor, I would say. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and, and as Wharton cheerleaders, so let's, let's you know, not, not you know, let, let's be very upfront about this. You're a Wharton alum. We've both worked in the admissions office. I'm a huge cheerleader of Wharton. I'm, I'm pretty upset by this. Yeah, me too. And I think, you know, for me, the three big stories in this ranking are, I mean, first of all, don't want to um, remove any of the spotlight off of Columbia. I mean, they came in first. I think it's the first time that they've topped this ranking. And, and so that's, you know, kudos to them. They have a beautiful new facility that they built. There's a lot of momentum at that school, I would say. So great news that they're in number one. The other big news was that they've changed the methodology. So when I first started reading the ranking and didn't see Wharton, I thought, oh, you know, maybe Wharton's really bad in some of these new categories that they introduced, which were carbon footprint, which is about 4%, I think, of the ranking. And then uh, ESG, which is kind of environment, society, and government or something, coursework. So the extent to schools offering that type of coursework, uh, that's weighted 3% in these rankings. So about 7% to this kind of sustainability-related stuff. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe Wharton's like fallen out of the top 20 or something. But I, you know, I was like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, they have lots of offerings in this domain and, and their facility is relatively new. I, I don't feel like they have a horrible carbon, carbon footprint either. So um, in any event, that's, that's the other thing. And then the third thing, as we just discussed, is Wharton. Yeah, it just, I mean, the Wharton, it, uh, we, we reached out to Wharton to ask for a comment. And all they said was that they were notified on Tuesday, February 7th, that the FT was not going to be including Wharton in the um, global full-time MBA ranking because they had not reached the threshold for alumni survey respondents to be included. And apparently that threshold is not very high. It's something like 20% or something of the, you know, the, the pool that's been sent the survey. Now, this is all 2019 grads. So I don't know. I mean, if the 2019 class has a bone to pick with Wharton for some reason, but I, I don't think that's what it, I, I really don't know what it is. I know there was an article over on PNQ about how, oh, these candidates are all angry at Wharton because of the way the school handled the pandemic. But frankly, if you graduated in 2019, you didn't even know what COVID was when you graduated. So I don't think it's that. Um, 
Um, so I don't know. This is just, yeah, interesting to see this development. And I, I'm hoping that Wharton gets their act together and, you know, it, at least communicates better with the FT because it sounds like something went wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would be good to know exactly what went wrong, but we'll never know that in this post, post-truth post world in which we live. <laughs> That's I'll right. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. So one thing I did want to mention is, you know, London Business School actually ended up slotting behind. If you if you look at just the European schools, it's INSEAD, ESA, Bocconi, LBS. And, and I think, you know, they've typically been up at the top or sharing the top or right behind INSEAD or something. So that was kind of a bummer for them. Um, but apparently, you know, ESA and Bocconi are doing something right with respect to this methodology. Um, um, HEC is right on the heels of LBS too. So, you know, a lot of the usual suspects you would expect to see. And the only other thing I wanted to call attention to is that, you know, as we always say, we're not a big fan of ordinal rankings. We really think they're sort of tiers. Um, Michigan coming in at the very back end, I think they were like 20, I want to say 26th overall in this ranking. They were kind of the last of the top 16 um, and, you know, of, of kind of U.S. schools. That was a little weird. And then Carnegie Mellon's like sort of nowhere to be found. They, they fell 20, I don't know. They must have fallen, yeah, they, they fell 26 spots, I guess, is what I'm seeing here. So anyway, yeah, just some odds, and I, and I don't know what's contributing to it. But I, I did, as I was thinking about all this, realize that... So so when you, you mentioned both of those programs, yeah. and, and I have some sneaky sort of suspicion in the back of my mind, is it's, ha- it's something related to their locations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible. So, you know, uh, Tapper, which I think is a really strong program and has some really strong niches um, in Pittsburgh. Um, I think maybe there's, there's, there's some correlation there that might be a bit of an issue. Yeah, it's um, possible. But, but, but again, the, the, the point is when you see these real outliers, it, it, to me, it doesn't really do a lot for the ranking methodology because it's basically telling me there's something wrong with their ranking methodology because there's no way that Tepper belongs at that spot in an ordinal ranking of business schools across the world. Just no way, right? So so it undermines the integrity of the overall sort of methodology that they use, um, in in my mind anyway. Yeah, and I know we got to get on to other stuff, but the last thing I want to say is, I mean, we've done a lot of research with candidates as just part of the stuff that, you know, people see on our website. We're often running research uh, projects with with current applicants or offer holders for, for schools. And, you know, when we look at what matters to candidates, it's many of the things that you would expect, like the, you know, the, the, the kind of career placement statistics, uh, the, you know, salary, um, the alumni network, the brand of the school, quality of the, you know, student body, all that stuff. And so, and, and things like, um, you know, ESG or carbon footprint are very low on the list. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be higher, um, that people should care, you shouldn't care about this stuff, right? But um, it's, it's interesting to me, I'm, I'm, wor- I'm wondering if the extent to this ranking, because this ranking has a lot of things in it, like um, percentage of, um, you know, international faculty or faculty who don't hold the same passport as the institution's passport. So, it just there's a lot of stuff that's sort of all about um, you know bringing together a kind of very diverse class and all that stuff and and it's just that when we've surveyed candidates who are applying that stuff might be on the list but it's usually very far down and so yeah this is where it gets a little murky in terms of what right. and and the other thing with the FT that I'm I'm a little um, concerned about is that 
the world has changed dramatically since these 2019 folks graduated from business school. I mean, business schools are doing so much more technolo- you know, technologically in terms of <laughs> hybrid online. Um, and also, the, you know, there's a war, there's inflation. I mean, there's so many things that have happened. And so taking a snapshot of people who graduated in 2019 may not be the best way to arrive at a ranking of business schools today. And so in any event, I'll, I'll stop there. But it's not my favorite ranking, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Typically, we think Financial Times is the, the best sort of, 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 of these that do global ranking. Yeah. There are some misgivings. Um, but we also wonder if, if it's really smart to list schools from around the world within the same ranking. That one um, metric that you pointed out, i.e. the diversity of the faculty, faculty not from the home country as, as, as a measure. Well, that's going to favor European programs because right. the countries are much smaller. Right. 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 So, yeah. um, there's going to be inherent bias when you look at these um, programs um, across the world and so on and so forth. Anyway, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, there's, no, there's no doubt this ranking has caused some waves because it's not as, um, I, I don't think it's as, as true to the marketplace as it has been in the past. Yeah, agree. That, that said, Columbia, fantastic. And certainly the new building, um, is, is, you know, they, they've moved into a new building. They've got a lot of momentum. Yeah. Um, so, so props to them. They only moved up one place, but they moved to the top spot. Fantastic. Yeah. Good work on their part. The other thing I wanted to get to before we talk about our candidates, and we'll just sort of zip through it, is London Business School published their employment report. And as everyone who's tuned in regularly knows, we like to go through these. And so I'll just give you the stats, Alex, and then curious to hear any feedback that you have. Um, 94% of London Business School graduates had been offered a job within three months of graduation. Um, of those who were looking, right? And then 91% had already accepted an offer within that three months as well. So really impressive stats there. The average salary is $125,000 a year, a little bit lower than, you know, some of the schools over in the States. But I assume some of that's related to, you know, the the pound being less valuable than it was and and some other factors in terms of salaries in in Europe and the UK being lower than in the States. Uh, Over on the kind of, you know, industry side of things, they sent 37% of their class into consulting. That's actually down a percent. It was 38% the year prior. They sent 29% into uh, technology. They sent 27% into financial services. Um, those are, but both those numbers are not terribly different from last year. So things are quite stable um, in this regard. And then they sent 2% into consumer and retail. Again, very stable with the prior year's numbers. So not a lot to say there. They did give um, some kind of interesting like nuggets. They said that McKinsey hired 54 London Business School grads, BCG took in 32, and Bain hired 29. So, you know, lots of folks graduating from that class going off to top consulting firms. Um, I'll just kind of run through the regions and then just get your overall take, Alex. So regionally speaking, they sent 63% of their class into the UK. So they stayed in the UK. That number's up. It was 52% last year. So that's a a number that's gone up. Asia, 11%. That's down from 13%. Europe, they sent um, 7%. That excludes the UK. So the rest of Europe, 7%. And that's down. It was 10% the year prior. Uh, North America, they sent 7%, also down from 9%. 
the prior year, and then they sent 6% to Africa and the Middle East, that's up a percentage point, and they sent 5% to Latin America, that's actually down from 9%. So it seems like some consolidation around jobs in the UK, but what's your take on this report from LBS? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not surprising. I mean, we, we expect a lower starting salary, I think, from, from schools in Europe. Yeah. Um, so so the LBS does drop off from the starting salaries we've seen from the top programs in, in the US. Yeah, I think you're right in terms of some of the reasons for that also are manifested by the weaker pound um, and, 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 you know, salary expectations in, in, in regions in Europe is lower than New York City and so forth. Um, so that doesn't really surprise me. You know, the... the Increase in folks staying in the UK and, and not in Europe probably is a little, little bit of a Brexit issue. Now, whether it's a Brexit issue in terms of are students able to get the, the visas as easily to work in Europe or not is, is one thing. But the other issue is the perception of the additional hurdles that you might have to um, leap over now because um, the UK is no longer part of the EU. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever said it on, on the podcast, but I've never liked Brexit. And I think it, it will have a hangover effect on, on programs um, in, in the UK. Yeah. Um, so, so, so we'll, 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 we'll see, right? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, quite honestly, the employment, what, what I do really like about this employment report is revealing those numbers of MBB mm-hmm. and, the, and the amount of folks going to top consulting firms is a real good signal to me that LBS is not the 16th best program in, no. in the world, according <laughs> to the Financial Times. Much better than that. Yeah. Um, because you won't see, I don't think anyway, Graham, you see those types of numbers at a couple of the other programs that have been placed higher than LBS. And to me, that is a great proxy for the quality of the MBA. Yeah. Folks getting recruited by the top firms, recruiting the top students at the top programs. So that's MBB and that's private equity recruiters, yeah. DC recruiters, Goldman Sachs. That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, agree. Well said. I, yeah, I think that's a good point. These numbers are very healthy. And I mean, we know they have a very good career services team there. And yeah. the fact that you know, they've kept things pretty um, healthy, you know, in terms of that nice split across consulting tech and finance. So, yeah. um, all right. So moving on, I do want to uh, mention we have an event this Wednesday. It's actually a, kind of a first for us. It's a real humans event where we've invited some current MBA students to chat with um, our listeners and, and anyone that's on our website, people applying to business school. So it should be really interesting because we have some students from, let's see, we've got a student from Keenan Flagler at UNC, student from Berkeley, Haas, a uh, student from Wharton, MIT, Chicago Booth, and SMU Cox. So it should be a great session. And you can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash RH students live. That's all one word and all lowercase. So definitely join us for that. It's going to be a fun chance to, and and by the way, these students are not, um, they weren't like selected by the schools. So these are just students who, you know, we know from interviewing them for our website or connecting with them. And so they should be kind of really open to just talking about life and their programs and stuff. So it's not going to be scripted or anything like that. So it should be fun. Um, if you have anything that you want to reach out to Alex and I about, you can write to info at clearedmit.com, use the subject line wiretaps, and we will circle back with you. Uh, Alex, anything else, or should we dive into our candidates for this week? Let's kick on. All right, so this is wiretaps candidate number one. 
so we're going to start with an apply wire entry that you've selected, Alex, and this candidate has eight schools on the target list. Those schools are Berkeley, Columbia, Harvard, NYU, Stanford, UCLA, USC Marshall, and Yale SOM. They are not applying now. They're going to be applying next season. They want to start in 24, and they have this amazing career in television development, which has spanned nine years at this point. They um, I want to kind of pivot into consulting, but maybe, you know, even keeping that kind of consulting work in the media and entertainment domain eventually. Um, but in the short term, they've got companies like Bain and BCG and Deloitte and McKinsey on their target list. They have a 3.74 GPA. Uh, they are located in LA. Uh, they would love to stay in California after business school. And they haven't taken a test yet, but they wrote to us in part because they're preparing to do so and we're kind of wondering what <laughs> what score they need to get. A couple other just sort of small details. They met, they mentioned that they went to undergrad at an HYP. And so I, I don't know, my brain wasn't working. I was like, what's a hype school? But hype is Harvard, Yale, <laughs> Princeton. So they went to a very good undergrad with that 3.74. And since then, They've been working first at a major talent agency, then a studio, and then went into kind of um, you know executive work, um, and and they're working in television development now as an executive. So pretty interesting media and entertainment role, uh, and they're just asking like, do they have a realistic shot, and what GMAT score should they target? And they mentioned they're white, male, and also a member of the LGBTQ community. So I'll stop there, Alex. What do you what's your take on this candidacy? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to like here um, um, for, for this candidate. Um, you know, their, their career is, is less traditional, and i got to presume they've done very well in their career. Yeah. And they can sort of show that sort of growth and impact and so on and so forth that we like to talk about. Um, they've got a, a, a very strong sort of GPA from a top um, um, undergraduate program. I knew what hype meant, Graham. I'm You're better than me. You <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, so it checks all those boxes. The GMAT is going to be interesting because I think they did do a humanities major. So I don't know how much quants in their undergraduate. Um, so, you know, if, if they come back with a really strong GMAT with a very strong quant score, that's going to be outstanding. If they don't, um, or, or if they come back with a decent GMAT, um, you know, at the median of the schools that they're targeting, the quants a little bit lower than the verbal in terms of percentiles. They might want to look at MBA math or some sort of, um, you know, way to sort of um, show that, that, that math quant is, is a strength of theirs. Um, so, so I would encourage them to do that. I'd also be interested in what is their long-term goals. And more sort of, uh, more key to that is, why are they pivoting? Um, they they want to pivot. <laughs> That's very good. But it'd be really interesting to know why and what their long-term sort of game plan is. Yeah. And that would help sort of, um, you know, anchor the narrative um, for the stories and, and so on and so forth. But if they do a good job with that, um, you know, they're a half marathon runner. They've got some other things going on. Oh, yeah, they're um, a singer. They sing in a choir. Yeah, 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 and I love that. I've really gotten into lately a cappella yeah. um, um, stuff. Well, it's Cornish sing-song, I like to call it, but yeah. it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I, they're probably not a pub singer like I like to listen to, but <laughs> it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but the point is, I think that puts them in, in the running for 
the, the elite programs, right? If they if they tie all that stuff together. Where's Wharton on their list? And we talked about this before coming on air. I know Wharton sort of disappeared off of the Financial Times <laughs> list, but they should be on this person's list, I think. Yeah. They have a decent media and entertainment program, and I think they're consulting goal post MBA is also within the media and entertainment space um, um, quite possibly so 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 Wharton should be on their list but yeah if they do all the right things Graham top candidate yeah and Wharton has that West Coast campus too so yeah, yeah. there's some reasons there the one thing I want to add on this candidacy is just that you know I agree with you I'd love to hear a long-term goal and I'd love for it to be something along the lines of you know Look, I've been, they've risen through the ranks working in television and, you know, they're in kind of an executive role. And so to me, the natural thing to hear them say as a humanities major would be, I'm, you know, I'm heading for the top of these types of organizations, but I need some management skills and I would like to go to business school to prepare myself to be, you know, CEO of Paramount or whatever it's going to be. You know, I mean, they're, they're obviously a rising star, but they might say, wait a second, I'd love to study finance and um, operations and some of these, you know, nuts and bolts business subjects that one might not have studied in undergrad if you're a humanities major. So that could be enough. And they could say, then I'm going to go do consulting to hone my tools that I've picked up in business school, and then I'm going to go back into kind of meeting entertainment in a very senior executive role. So that would be great to hear. I am worried a little bit about this candidate's age. They've got nine years of experience. And so that means, you know, more pressure on the GMAT to be strong, especially if they're humanities. Now they could go out and take, as you said, MBA math or business fundamentals or HBS core, any of those courses that could bolster this side of things if, if things go sort of sideways on the GMAT. But I am a little worried that they could be a bit old. Uh, some of these schools on their list, you know, the average ages are a lot lower than that, right? So the, the average work experience is more like four or five years. So yeah. I think that is a potential concern, although I'm hoping that, you know, singing in the choir, running half marathons, and this really interesting career, and hopefully a great set of career goals will put them over the line. And, you know, again, all they can do now is buckle down, study for the GMAT and hit that out of the park. That would be my advice for now. (laughs) Um, But really interesting profile. Yeah. So I want to, th- yeah, want to thank them for uh, submitting the, all the details and, and actually corresponding with you a little bit on the site. But let's move on now and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another uh, candidate uh, that's from Applywire, Alex, that you, you selected. The difference here is that this person's already applied, um, is kind of in the, in the process. And the schools that they've targeted are Columbia, Cornell, Duke, NYU, and Wharton. Uh, their pre-MBA career um, is also quite long. They have a total of seven and a half years of work experience to date. Uh, they did four years of kind of big four consulting. Then they did sustainable investment solutions kind of as an analyst for a year and a half. And I think they moved into equity uh, research for a year. And now I, I'm not sure if it's the current role, but they also list investment risk analyst for a year. So they've done a lot of different, um, that consulting work was big four. So a lot of kind of risk, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, and, and investment related work. They have a GRE score of 322 and a GPA of 3.21. Again, seven and a half years of work experience. They claim that after business school, they'd love to get into asset management and like a, or, or hedge funds. And they list BlackRock, Fidelity, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Vanguard. They've got a long list here of, um, 
other <laughs> potential places they could land. They're located in New York, and they would love to land in either New York or Denver after business school. Um, Denver's not one we see very often. Maybe they're a skier or have family <laughs> out there. Um, in any event, they indicate in their note that they recognize, it says, it says here, I'm a bit of a long shot at my schools. I will have almost eight years of work experience by the time I start school. And, you know, they're kind of just wondering what we think. They are um, really passionate around sustainable investing. And they also mentioned they use an admissions consultant. So they feel good about the story and the essays that they've crafted. And they also mentioned somewhere, and I'm not seeing it here, but they mentioned that they had kind of a, uh, a friend of the family write a letter of support for Columbia. It's someone who um, is affiliated to Columbia in some way. And also that um, I think both of their recommendation letters are from... Um, I want to say they're from MBA grads, right? So there's a lot of kind of, you know, it sounds like they've crossed their eye, crossed their T's and dotted their eyes. But what do you make of this situation, Alex? Yeah, I mean, uh, that Denver thing, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I hadn't picked up on that. But yeah, they got their letters of recommendations from Stern grads. Yeah. Um, so so, so that's, that, that can, can only um, um, help, I think, um, to some extent. Um, so if you look at the numbers, just you know, flat out the way the way they are, 322 GRE, 3.21 um, GPA, um, you know, they're not jumping off the page, right? They're below at the median for the schools that they're targeting. Um, and, you know, having seven and a half years of experience puts, makes them a bit of an outlier in that regard too. Um, I got to assume the experience is actually pretty good and they've got a positive trajectory and they've, you know, done some some different things. Um, and hopefully from all that, they do get really strong recommendations and really the, the foundation of the strength of their profile will be in their sort of work experience um, aspect um, and so on and so forth. Um, I like some of the extracurriculars, you know, boxing is, is more unusual um, mm -hmm. that, that we see and so forth. So that might sort of also um, um, play out. Also their passion for sustainability. Um, that's always going to be a bit of a positive, uh, and they can show that they this isn't just a, a trendy sort of um, passion, as it were. I let's jump on the sustainability bandwagon. They they were um, they did some sustainability stuff whilst at Penn State University as a leader, and so on and so forth. So they can um, lean on that a little bit, and and that can be um, quite favourable. They've got the CFA. Um, they've gone through uh, through that. That might help a little bit on the side of their their, their counting stats um, and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some possibilities there. But I mean, at the end of the day, Graham, let's be straight up front. Um, things are going to be challenging uh, with the overall sort of um, profile um, and the schools that they're targeting. So fingers crossed that they do get some interview invites. And really, can their personality can shine through through those in, you know, interviews and so forth? But you mentioned um, that their post MBA location, New York or Denver. <laughs> so let's imagine that their long term goal is to be in Denver for whatever reason, might be family reasons, and, or so on and so forth. If they just miss the sort of top sixteen type caliber programs, what's better for them? The next tier down or 
the best program in Denver? What would Ooh. you say to that, Graham? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think there could be benefits to studying at a UT Austin or a USC Marshall or something um, in, in that market. Because I, yeah, there are some MBA programs in Denver, but I still would go probably with, if, if those are the kinds of schools we're talking about, I still think they might have a slight edge. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. You raise a really good question. And I honestly... I mean, I don't know enough about the MBA offerings in Denver because um, none of them are really, you know, high ranking or anything. So you, I'd want to do some digging, yeah. you know, and see what I the alumni activity is it, like. It's the lead school, right, um, at, at University of Denver, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I could be completely um, getting it wrong. Um, but it's, I know you of, Denver has a program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I think that the school itself is actually pretty good. It might not be ranked in the top 20 or top 30, but I think it's very good. What I would do is look at its full-time program. I would scrutinize it if I was this candidate. Look at its um, um, recruiting program and find out what, what um, you know, banks or, or whatever it is that their, their target um, um, goal is. Who's recruiting at, at Denver that might be appealing to them? And there might be some asset management firms or whatever in the city of Denver that do recruit locally. Yeah. And I know... When I worked at the University of Delaware prior to um, prior to going up to the Wharton School, I mean, yeah, sure, University of Delaware, they're not they're not a ranked program in the top 20, 30, or 40, but actually, um, they they had some good niches and they had banks recruiting at the university that you know based in Wilmington and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's definitely worth examining if they know that they want to be in denver in the long run the options in that region and then like you say ut austin they might um they, they they might have a pipeline into denver but really looking at which schools have the best pipelines into denver itself yeah and if i i did a little um i cheated here to look and see and i i yeah it is university of denver you're right it's the daniel school of business and it's ranks it's ranked 71st by us news so it's top 100 um, MBA program, you know, in, in the U.S., but yeah, could, could be worth it. I mean, I, I think they're hoping to get into one of these top schools that they've applied to and, you know, kind of shifting back to that, the thing that strikes me as kind of unfortunate is that they have, I mean, they have great work experience, you know, they've, they've clearly like accelerated, moved up, et cetera. Yeah. And I think they have good activities too. You know, they're a boxer, they've raised money for charity. They've, as you say, they've done the CFA, like they have a lot of things in their favor. And so the thing that jumps out at me that makes me concerned is the GPA is low. Um, it's from Penn State, so you know, decent school. But I wouldn't say it's like having a th you know a three two from MIT and or something, right? But it's so the the GPA is a bit lower than average at their target schools, or at least most of their target schools. And then the GRE is also below average at at least a handful of the schools on their list. So, yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, this is a year where. Maybe a couple of these schools will put them on the wait list or hang on to them or even give them an admit. It's really hard to know. I, I think, you know, we are in a down year and so there's relatively less volume, but that doesn't mean that it's a walk in the park to get into any of these <laughs> any of these schools. I think people often forget that, right? But in any event, I mean, I'm hoping this person gets into one of these programs, but you're right. It could be worth, if they really want to be in Denver, they could look at schools in that market or, as we said, into schools that, you know, where there's a good alumni base out in the Denver area. And I, I, I have a I don't know why I feel like there's a good number of UT grads out there as well as maybe some of the California schools. So yeah. in any event, yeah. So 
enough said probably on that candidate, but I do want to thank them for sharing their profile and wish them the best of luck. Hopefully they're getting interview invitations and getting some positive <laughs> signs as we head into the late part of round two here. And thank them for being very active on the whys. They are one of our star contributors. Yes. They might be one of the first ones for the season. They earned a star by getting more than 30 likes on the different comments yeah. they've left. So yeah, thanks for that. That's that's huge. And we always appreciate that and encourage everyone to like each other's posts to accumulate those stars. So in any event, best of luck to that candidate. Um, but let's move on, Alex, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So our third candidate this week is also an apply wire entry that you picked, Alex. And this candidate, again, not applying um, to start until 24. So they're, you know, a year out from from application or, well, maybe more like, you know, <laughs> nine months at this point because we're heading through the season now. Um, they are an M&A lawyer uh, in India and they want to pivot out of being a lawyer and into consulting in the short term. They've got uh, Carney, Bain, Deloitte on the list for now. Their GPA in undergrad is a 3.5. I'm assuming that's converted from, you know, from India. So I'd want to know the actual GPA without a conversion just to really have a measure of it. They've got four years of work experience and they would love to work in Europe, specifically the UK, Germany or France. And as a result, the schools that are on their target list for now are Cambridge, HEC Paris, INSEAD, London Business School, and Oxford. So this is the rare candidate on our site who's very focused just on Europe. So it's kind of an interesting situation. But what do you make of this? I mean, we don't see a lot of M&A lawyers coming out of India wanting to go to schools in Europe for, you know, to pivot. So what's your take on this candidacy? Yeah, I think this could be a fantastic candidate. Really, what I would suggest to them is make sure they target the first rounds. Don't assume that because they have a different type of work history that they won't get bucketed into this sort of overrepresented bucket. So assume that they're going to be overrepresented and therefore apply in the first rounds. I think that's rule number one. Ace the GMAT. So, um, you know, get really prep hard, get the best score that that they can again because they're going to be potentially put into this overrepresented bucket they're really going to need to be targeting um, an outstanding score because they're in a very competitive pool um, but if they can do that i mean the fact that they're an m a um, lawyer um, in in india is is going to be um, much less um, traditional um, i think that's going to be really really strong um, I think they're going to be a very attractive candidate. We don't know what they do outside of work, so it'd be good to. Um, oh, they sort of... they did. They mentioned they they do some mentoring of undergraduate oh, yeah, yeah. students. Sorry, yeah, yeah, they do yeah, some volunteer sorry. work. I, um, I, I yeah. did see that. Yeah, yeah. So volunteer work, mentoring, and so forth, which we like. Mentoring is always a very positive um, thing for folks to be doing. So that's all really good. Um, so really ace the GMAT. Really focus on just just put you know make make themselves think that they're going to be overrepresented and so on yeah. and so forth and they'll do all the right things then the the other thing that they're determined to do a one-year program or they want to do a one-year program and i understand that that that's you know the opportunity cost is less etc cetera, etc cetera. but if they're pivoting yeah, I don't from, know, yeah from being a lawyer to they want to go into vc private equity and so on and so forth which i understand that desire to pivot um, it might well be that the two-year program option with the with the, the internship it enables an easier transition right 
Um, so they need to factor that um, issue in as well. So that would put London, yeah, it, yeah, it would just I mean, put London Business School and maybe I, I think I should say Paris is two year, right? So 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 that would elevate um, um, those programs. But yeah, I think potentially fantastic. Yeah, LBS is flexible, right? Fifteen to yeah. twenty some months, depending on you know most people do the full two years. Uh, HEC is more like a sixteen month, if memory serves. But yeah, with an internship, and so I I feel like. You're right. I mean, if they're trying to pivot, they might benefit from more time in the classroom and a chance to intern somewhere. I think this candidate falls into two buckets. One, as you say, Indian, so overrepresented. So forget about their career. It doesn't matter. They're still going to potentially be labeled, like you said. So like you say, get the test done and do it well. They also fall into the lawyer bucket, which is a bucket that's traditionally stereotyped as maybe not being very quantitatively strong. And that's always a concern for admissions readers. And and so I would recommend that this candidate, again, do well on the GMAT especially the quantitative part of the test and maybe even consider doing a you know business fundamentals course or MBA math or HBS core any of those kind of um, yeah. skills workshop type things that can get them ready for business school to show that they know that they have this gap but yeah otherwise um, really interesting candidacy I think could add a lot to the classroom at any of these programs and yeah they should just you know as I said with the last candidate like buckle down um, or with the first candidate sorry buckle down and, and work on that test and, and get it done and you know hopefully think go well there and then they can be a compelling candidate in round one what about applying to top u.s programs graham i know that they say they want to be in europe but would I, our advice would be exactly the same right target the very best apply in the first round and and yeah, yeah. you raise a good point like they could go to a top u.s school if they play their yeah. cards right and if they wanted to but it doesn't sound like they want to for the time being so yeah, yeah. but in any event i want to thank them for sharing their candidacy alex we've kind of run long this week because we had a lot of stuff to talk about with that ft ranking and <laughs> and the lbs career stats but thanks for all the work that you do to help us prepare for this show and, and picking out the candidates and we'll do it all again next week if you're willing <laughs> very good stay safe everyone take care